ravage love. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas. When I was a young boy. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 36, season three. (laughs) It's Naughty Noel. Hi, Julie. Hello, Renee. A pitch perfect mashup. Well done. Thank, thank you so much. Um, you know, couldn't keep it. I had to bring in my my roots. Um, yeah. You know, keep it light, keep it fun, keep it, no, keep it dark. What am <laughs> I, I was saying? I going to say, keep it dark. True and yeah. April. Uh, it yeah. is Naughty Noel here on Ravage Love. So we are reading books about the holidays all December long. And I have a confession to make, Renee. Tell me. I picked up a book and I read it and I read it to the end. Now, to be clear, it wasn't that long of a book. It was less than, it was about 100 pages or so. And realized it had nothing to do with the holidays. Oh, <laughs> no. Or winter. So I was like, oh, no. Um, so instead, I went on the search and I, I landed with one of my old favorites. Are you telling me that you devoured two books this week? I did. I did. And the other book, I'm not going to tell you anything about it because I'm absolutely going to use it for a future episode because it was about a holiday, but it wasn't about the holidays. So that book will be back in rotation in a bit. But this week, I did find a book about Christmas and specifically set in the winter. Okay. Okay. Do you, right. about, do you want to hear about it? Yeah, I do. I really do. Okay, so I read A Kiss for Midwinter by my girl, Courtney Milan. Oh, yes. Love a Courtney Milan. So Courtney Milan is a prolific writer of contemporary and historical romance. She's American. She's been very outspoken about the need for diversity within the romance world. She also came forward in the context of Me Too to denounce a uh, judge that she worked for when she was a lawyer who was incredibly awful. So she's very political, very feminist, very funny on Twitter. I recommend following her. Um, Has galvanized the romance readers community to raise funds for Black Lives Matter and like all kinds of really incredible causes. She's great. And her books... Every time, 10 out of 10, they're wonderful. They're very well written. There is uh, always like a, I mean, they're super consensual, super well written. And there's always some kind of lesson in it, but it never comes across as like hokey or contrived or like cheesy in any kind of way. Just such a fan. So I read A Kiss for Midwinter, which is part of the brother's sister a uh, brother's sinister uh series which i read one of the books the the very first book from that just a few weeks ago yeah uh, that's when we were, right. yeah when we were doing bodice rippers so this one is a novella set around the holidays part of that series and it's from 2012 now okay. 
I have never read anything out in the series other than that first book, and it made complete and total sense to me. I'm sure to other people, if you've read the series, there's like characters that are referenced, but it's good as a standalone story. Um, it's okay. about 150 pages or so. So if you want a good intro or you just want to start off in the genre, I really recommend uh, any of Cordy Milan's novellas, but this one in particular, oof. So... First, I'm going to ask you, because as we know, um, mm -hmm. you have a perfect voice for radio, podcasting, voiceovers, what have you. I do not. Thank and one of the reasons that. why I don't is because I put my syllables in the wrong places all of the time. <laughs> so I'm going to spell a word for you. It's a place okay. in the UK. Mm -hmm. I've seen this place multiple times, spelled anyway. L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. Sorry, I'm going to write that down. Try one more time. Here we go. L-E-I. L-E-I. C-E-S. C-E-S? T-E-R. T-E-R. Like, um, I would say, like, Leicester? Leicester? I feel like that's got to be wrong. <laughs> that's you know how what? I'm pronouncing it, and so that's where I'm like, it can't be right. It's like, Leicester? Or like, anyways... Lecherous, whatever the fuck it is. Um, September 1857. So this, we're dealing with a historical romance set somewhere that I can't pronounce in the UK. Oh, I sorry. I checked Google. Yes. It's pronounced uh, Lester. Lester. Like Lester. Mo Lester? Yes, exactly like that. Like Lester. Okay. Like okay. Lester, the serial killer. No, there's no serial killer named Lester, but it sounds like a serial killer name. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah. So You're in, so welcome. They, truly, in Lester, 1857, Jonas is a doctor's apprentice mm -hmm. who is 19 years old, and he's on a house call with a doctor, and they are dealing with a... 15 year old girl who is pregnant and who is just numb and staring off at the wall and her parents are asking the doctor like what to do what to do and he basically starts telling them well your daughter's gonna die early of moral decay because she's a whore and yeah. prescribes her something which Jonas realizes is not scientifically accurate and then later realizes is poisonous <gasps> but he doesn't say anything because he was told that he could only have this position if he just shut the fuck up and went along with it and learned and, you know, know your place. You're new. Oh. I've been doing this forever. Jonas, so he, no. So Jonas is haunted by the memory of this young woman who, yeah, like the doctor saying, like, you got to send her away. You got to send her away and pretend you've never met her. You got to disown her. Um, you gotta break the bonds now because she's gonna die like a hooker, like just like fucking slut shaming this poor woman to death. And she's just sitting there staring off into the distance like, what the fuck is my life? So fast forward five years later and Jonas is doing well. He took over the doctor's practice when the other doctor retired. He um, is the number one bachelor in town. He's got a great job. He's good looking. And he decides, okay, I want to settle down. I want to start a family. And a huge reason why he wants to do that um, is not really to start a family. This, this is what he's telling people. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to start a family. But it's actually because he is 
medical doctor who is profoundly interested in what he studies and he is at the forefront of recognizing that germs cause disease so everyone finds it curious that he doesn't walk around wearing gloves or anything in the cold and he says it's because he realized that he washes his hands before and after each patient and then if he had gloves the germs would carry and everyone's just like oh silly jonas you weirdo um, and one of the th- <laughs> one of the things that Jonas is obsessed with is not getting an STI because he knows they're real and does and has seen what gonorrhea and chlamydia and everything has done to other people. So he basically is like, I want to fuck, and I don't want to fuck a virgin necessarily, but I want to fuck in a context of monogamy so that I can feel comfortable that I'm not going to die of the clap. So this All is right. yeah. So this is where he's at. So this so Jonas is like, okay, I gotta find me a woman and settle down. So he goes through a list of the top ten hottest women in town, knowing he could get every single one of them, and then decides to go on dates with each one to sort of figure out, okay, personality wise. And then his friend is kind of ribbing him, like, who gives a shit about their personality? They're all hot. They will do whatever you want them to because you have money. Why do you care? And he's like, because I want to spend my life with someone that I actually fucking like weird but true right and then he goes through his list he's got 10 women he's like okay and then he realizes actually no there's 11 women because there's this woman in town that i kind of have my eye on but she doesn't seem interested in me and he fucking loves it so (laughs) lydia is by far the most beautiful but she is super bitchy to him has no time for him doesn't care for him and he's like i love a challenge (laughs) <laughs> and then decides to take her out on a date and she's giving him one word answers like I am living for Lydia I'm like who is this fucking queen and she finally at one point he says like have I offended you like you've I'm doing 90% of the talking in this conversation and she just turns to him and he's like I know you think I'm easy prey that I'm susceptible to blackmail that you can do whatever the fuck you want to me but that's not how this is gonna go and he's like what And she's like, oh, I know what you're up to. And then he realizes she was the young woman from five years ago. (gasps) Fucking knew it. I knew it. So then she she recognized him, obviously, because it was like a deeply traumatic experience for her. But, you know, she was five years younger than him. So the age difference between when you're 15 and when you're 20, um, pretty significant. Plus she'd had, you know, she was pregnant and stuff. So her appearance changed quite a bit. So he didn't recognize her right away, but she knew who he was. And he's like, oh my God, I would never, I've been haunted by your story all these years. No, no, no. Like that's not at all my intent. I didn't even know it was you. And she's like, fuck you. Like, I'm not doing this. No, no, no. Like I have too much dignity. And I'm like, yes, girl. But of course now he's fucking hooked. Right? Oh yeah. hundred percent. So there's all of this witty banter and this will they, won't they energy. Um, She's terrified that he's going to blackmail her or tell her secret. And you discover that she ended up miscarrying on Christmas Eve. And that it was ultimately a blessing because her family was able to just move on and she was able to move on and there was no child to worry about or no um but she's rebuilt her life and this is a huge secret for her so she's like i can't you can't out me because i'm trying to be seen as a respectable woman 
Uh, then, you know, she tells him that she was 15 and he was like 25 and told her that he really loved her. And then, you know, we can do anything but, and then that wasn't enough for him. So he like coerced her into having sex with him. And she's like, I enjoyed it physically, but I also just did it because he wanted me to. And then he promised he would marry her. And she was like, oh my God, great. Like we're going to get married. And then one day she came home and her dad said something about like, oh, so-and-so is not at work today because his wife is in town. And then she realized, oh my God, this dude is fucking married. He's not going to marry me. He is using me and I am a dum-dum who fell for it. So like truly harrowing, but again, written in a way that's like very beautiful, very powerful. It doesn't come off as contrived where, you know, usually they'll just like throw in a conflict. Like I was raped or like something horrific just to add like character, like a plot device basically. But this was just actually like this really beautiful moment where she's like confiding in him and he's horrified. And he's like, you know, I never judged you then, but I certainly don't judge you now. Like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And she's like, that's why I can't trust men because I feel like they're just going to pull the rug from under me. And, you know, you're a doctor and are you just, you know, laughing behind my back and like all this whole thing. So, um, she like, he is into her and she's in denial about how into him she is, but he realizes that he likes that she's really smart. And that's part of the reason why she pushes back is because she knows that like, he's playing the game and he's on the prowl and she's like, that's just not my speed. So Jonas is also dealing with the fact that his dad is in serious decline and his dad has a hoarding problem and his dad has a memory loss problem. And Jonas is trying to keep maintain his dad's dignity and not air out his business to everyone, but it's getting to the point where like, you can't even walk through his house. So he tries to negotiate with his dad and says, okay, If I can promise you to be married within a year and settle down, will you let me at least organize your house? And he is like, uh, sure, because that's never going to happen. So might as well. So now Jonas goes back to Lydia and he makes her a proposition. And he says, you are so fucking cheery and optimistic and sunny and you just see the best in people and I just can't understand it. I see the dark underbelly of the universe. I see people miscarrying. I see people like beaten after their husbands beat them. I see people with cirrhosis because they've drank too much. Like I see some nasty shit in my day. And so you have a cheery disposition because you have a fancy fluffy job. So I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to make you a wager. In fact, And I quote, he says, I wager that I could show you a situation before Christmas that would be beyond even your capacity for good cheer. Jesus. Right? But sneaky motherfucker. She's like, okay, what happens if I win? And he's like, well, what do you want? You can have anything you want. And she's like, if I win, never speak to me ever again. Ever. I don't exist. I'm dead to you. And he's like, damn. Okay. And if I win, I want to kiss you. And she's like, okay, deal. So he takes her on various house calls and it's really beautiful and really sad. And it's like a Dickens novel of, you know, this woman who's resulted to sex work and she has eight kids and she, you know, is alone. And so she has to do sex work in order to feed her kids but the sex work is making her pregnant and so then there's this really powerful which is the courtney milan every book has this kind of element where this guy's like 
truly fascinated by gynecology and sexual health. And he's like on a mission to teach women about birth control. And he's on a mission to teach people in general that like the problem isn't you're fucking and God is punishing you. The problem is you don't have the scientific information to be able to protect yourself. And he just has this like very shocking for the time, but this very like amoral sex positive attitude that, and he's confides in her like, yeah, he's like, I'm not a virgin. He's like, why would I judge you for not being a virgin? I'm not a virgin. I used to have sex with this widow all the time because she missed sex, but didn't want another husband. And so like through med school, I just would like go and lay down some pipe for this widow. And like, we had a time and it was fine. And I was respectful and she was respectful. And I don't care about that. I care about the fact that someone coerced you. I care about the fact that people make you feel like you need to be ashamed. Like so fucking feminist Renee. I was like, who is this man? Who is this handsome doctor with feminist politics? So he, yeah, he's like teaching. And then he's teaching Lydia about what they call the French letter, which is a condom. <laughs> so he's teaching her about that. And the Dutch cap, which is basically the 1857 version of like a, um, uh, what you, a diaphragm. Yeah. And okay. she's like pretending that she's not interested. She's like, oh, like you're so obsessed with sex. But meanwhile, she's like, tell me more. <laughs> um, so she became... So she maintains her optimism, going on all these visits, doing her best. And then there's one that involves pregnancy loss and, this, and she just like loses it and then breaks down and realizes I'm not over it. And I try to pretend that I'm over it, but I'm really, really, really not. And I'm really angry and I'm really ashamed and na na na. And that brings them closer. And then she then shows up at his house, Renee. At like ten o'clock at night. Okay, that's very bold. Very bold, and she's dressed real cute, and she's like, "I have something for you." Um, and she, and he opens it, and it's a letter, and inside the letter is a condom. And she is like, "I know you lost your bet." Because, um, like, I know the bet is, like, over, basically, because I, you weren't able to show me the dark side of life. And so I won. And you now can't talk to me. And he just kind of nods because he's like, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk to you anymore. So I'm, but I'm, I'm allowed to stand here. (laughs) And so she was like, I want to fuck you. I want to, like, reclaim my body, basically. And I want to frame my sexuality in a positive way and let's do it so they fucking bang and it's super hot and super consensual and very spicy and then he when it's done says something to her and she's like ah ah ah, not allowed to talk and he's like pretty sure you said my name multiple times already so we're good and you're like yes what a line then he's like how about we just keep experimenting with whether sex is going to heal your soul until we can get married soon and she's like okay the end and then there's like an epilogue where they go and get married and then they're just like banging hard in a cabin having a time and i'm just so happy for them oh i'm happy for them too right and they have a beautiful christmas together and they have this whole thing and then like he convinces his dad to move in with him so that he can like take better care of him and like she feels like she's healed this traumatic story that happened to her Oy, 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 oy. So I'm going to give it on the spice factor 
I'm going to give it five out of five flavored condoms. I'm going to hope yeah. there's not a spicy flavored condoms, but there probably is, which is disgusting to me. Probably like a cinnamon. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Ugh! I feel like there's probably like warming cinnamon lube or something. I'm sure that's a thing. Um, and the sex toy or the sex accoutrement that I would associate with this particular book is uh, latex gloves, both for the sanitation purposes <laughs> and for the, you know, him fighting germs, but also her being really fascinated by the idea of like bringing a condom into the bedroom because this is new technology to her. So that was A Kiss for Midwinter by Courtney Milan. How did how did she get her hands on a prophylactic in the 1800s? That is the only thing that I I also asked myself, but I was like maybe because she like he connected her with other people who care about sexual health, like maybe she went through like the whisper network that he kind of opened up for her. I do not know. I do okay. not know the answer to that one, but um Again, like the last book I read with Courtney Milan is like this woman who is dealing with an abusive husband. And so when she starts taking up with this new lover, she's really nervous. And so like he does this consensual thing where like she takes a hairpin and then hands it to him. And then, then he could use like he can use that like as tokens basically to like ask yeah. for a kiss or whatever. Like so hot, Renee, like so hot, but still super consensual. And in this case, the like element of that is that yeah he couldn't talk so she didn't feel like he was ever gonna tell her what to do or what to do or like Aww. yeah or like judge her for whatever um but yet like he was still like real fucking hot and like went down on her which no one had ever done before obviously because most men are trash super hot and i just feel like she's such a perfect example of how you can have romance that's like legit romance like this shit was dripping with romance it was witty it was super fucking hot and yet still consensual still feminist no like weird tropes of yeah just like coercion or like grand gestures which are actually just like stalking behavior like she just fucking nails it she just nails it and i love it so much so yeah that's what i read this week i'm glad i am glad i'm glad that that's she brought her back this yeah this yeah after i was failed by this other book that i <laughs> whoo, cannot wait till we talk about that one but um i was like i gotta i gotta find something that i know won't let me down and that's courtney milan so yeah uh, tell me about your book renee well you know speaking of of letdowns um oh, no here's the thing is that i had a book in my repertoire that i had been hanging on to and I decided, you know, I'm going to read it. And why not? I'm going to bring the heat for this this week's episode. Because the cover, although strange and bizarre, um, implies that there is something sexual happening in the book. And as I read through it, I realized, in fact, no, there wasn't going to be any <laughs> sex in this book. So I put mine down and I read another book. Oh. <laughs> now, the book in question, for those wondering is a little number called The Human Santipede, um, which is exactly, yeah, it's exactly what you think it is. Um, Krampus is upset and starts abducting elves and Rudolph and will eventually get Miss, Mr. Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus um, as part of his 
human centipede um, and parade them around the land of Christmas. And uh, I just, you know, I just, I, I, I didn't think there was going to be a human centipede um, orgy of any kind. So I just put it down. But what I did read instead <laughs> warmed my heart and was lovely. Um, it was lovely. It was by author Eve Langla, who we've read before on the show. Um, mm-hmm. We've read ghost books by her. We've read She's shifter a shifter, yeah. Isn't she into yeah. shifter stuff? Yeah, yeah. All kinds of things. I read my, uh, my um, alien uh, book was by her. Mm-hmm. Um, lots, lots. And in fact, she has... Um, 252 distinct works holy shit yeah and they're like they just keep coming so according to goodreads she's only been on goodreads since 2009 so she's written that many books since then and it's true because she's like one of the only authors i like follow on amazon and every month it's like eve langlet eve langlet new books and like some of her books are like 300 pages long um yeah, and they're always fun. They're always fun. They're always good. I've never read one of her books that um, I didn't enjoy. And she's Canadian. She lives out just outside Ottawa right now. Oh, man. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would love to just, like, reach out to her and get to chat with her um, maybe in the future. But mm-hmm. um, for this week, I read a book called Dear Satan. Yeah. Dear Satan. And it came out this year. So... Every year, every year, Satan, Lucifer, Baphomet, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, he gets letters that were meant for Santa, but were misspelled. And he thinks it's a lot of fun. Um, He thinks it's a lot of fun because, one, he he likes to kind of use them to kind of, um, I guess see maybe who's going to be coming to hell in the future based on what they're asking for. Um, but also he just likes to cause mischief. Now Santa Claus is his cousin in this and um, Santa's not happy because Satan's gone ahead and set up like a mailbox in the North Pole just in case <laughs> things get mislabeled and sent to him. Um, so he's just causing mischief. Now he's married to Gaia who's like, you know, the goddess of earth and stuff and he's got two kids but one of his kids name is jujube and i love that <laughs> so gaia is giving him a hard time and he's she's like come on um but santa comes and makes him a deal he's like just give me back all my letters and i'll and i'll give you something that you want and so they make a deal that like the elves are going to make satan a car a sport car so he gives back all the letters but then his butler comes in and is like, oh, I found one of these letters on the ground. It must, we must have dropped it. And so Satan's like, okay, well, I'm going to take it. Um, and he decides not to give it to Santa because Santa already took everything they made a deal for. Now this letter is written by somebody called Mary, like M-E-R-R-Y. And all Mary wants for Christmas is to see her son smile. Um, now she has prayed to God. She has reached out to the Easter bunny. She's reached out to, she's done Halloween ritual. She's done all these things to try and help her son and nothing's working. So she's reaching out to Santa Claus. Um, she's like, my son hasn't smiled or talked in a year. And I just, please do something to help him. 
Now, the reason her son Miguel hasn't talked in a year is because he witnessed his father get shot um, by a man dressed up as Santa Claus. And we find out actually later in the story that um, his father is actually like a junkie um, and a really like a thief, like a really, really bad guy. Um, and he he didn't have the money for the drugs he was picking up from the Santa Claus. And so the guy shot him and then held a gun to Miguel, like a little, little guy, a little tyke. And um, the Santa Claus died when the cops showed up. So he hasn't, um, he hasn't talked since then, but he also hates Christmas, like everything Christmas. And in fact, like, you know, anything Christian, like really makes him like uncomfortable and, and scream and stuff. And so, Satan has decided he's like I'm gonna help I'm gonna help this family but Satan secretly also kind of loves Christmas and in fact he's a big fan of what they call the Hellmark channel and is a little obsessed with like the stories that they tell which are not you know dissimilar to Hallmark movies they're pretty much exactly the same thing but made for like hell so he decides well I'm gonna give this woman exactly what her family needs and basically decides to be a matchmaker how he does that is by reaching out to his um, kennel master, Marduk. And he says, you're going to bring one of your hellhounds and your puppies to this woman on earth for her, for her son. And you have to stay there until it's trained. And Marduk's kind of like, all right, I guess. So he goes to earth. He brings this puppy and he's like, okay, I got to train it and stuff. But Mary is like an eternal optimist. Like nothing can get her down. Um, and she's like overly understanding and stuff. And so, you know, she's not intimidated by this like gruff, cranky guy. She's just like, thank you so much for this puppy. You know, great. Um, now he also has like a way with her, with her child. She kind of has this, this way with her kid where she's like, you know, he's a free spirit, like whatever he needs to do to like manage his feelings. I'm gonna let him do so like he just like trashed their whole house with like all their Christmas decorations. And she's like, it's his, it's his free spirit. And meanwhile, Marduk shows up and he's like, you just made a big mess. So you have to fucking clean it up. And the kid like won't answer him, but he's like, just do it. And so the kid listens to him and she's like, Oh, that's weird. So they decide to go take the dog for a walk. And Lucifer pops up and he's like, how's it going? And he's like, what is like, what are you, why are you here? Like what is happening? he's like you know just you're good you're gonna be here for what she needs and you know it's it's great but you know um she's gonna die and so is her kid so maybe just like really train that dog well and as he's saying this this like car like speeds around the corner and she launches herself on her kid and it's like a drive-by shooting and oh. you're like what the fuck and but marduk he jumped on them to protect them. And because he's a demon, he didn't get hurt. And he's like, what was that? And she's like, well, you know, the Santa Claus that, you know, got shot with my, with my husband um, is actually like part of a gang. And that gang blames us for not getting their money. So they're like constantly after us and we're moving all the time, but we can't leave the city because my son has all like his services here. Um, and he's like, wow. Okay. So they go back to their apartment, but the apartment's on fire because the gang members came and like lit it up. And he's like, shit, like, okay. And she's like, it's all right. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. We can, we can handle this. It's fine. 
And so he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to take care of you. So he takes them to like a motel and he takes care of them. And later that night after Miguel's asleep, um, Mary goes to see Marduk and is like, how I can't ever thank you for this. And he's like, well, I need to go. I don't want to be here. I have to go back to work. But here's my like credit card. It's like the, a hell credit card. <laughs> he's like, here's my credit card. He's like, just use it to get up on like, get back on your feet. And she's like, I can't accept this. He's like, no, you're going, you have to. He's like, this is, I want to make sure that my puppy that I brought you is taken care of. And I want to make sure that your kid's taken care of. She's like, he's like, do it for them. And she's like, okay, you're right. Like I'll, I would do anything to take care of my family. So I will do that. And she's like, cool. Thanks so much. And he's kind of like, oh, you know, kind of put off. Cause he's really kind of, he likes her, but like he doesn't um, just cause he's a grumpy old man. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so She's like, well, how can I repay you? He's like, well, I don't want anything. And he, she's like, I have to, I have to give you something. And he's like, fine, I'll take a kiss. I'll, I'll take a kiss and that'll be, we'll be even. And so she's like, okay. And what should have been just like a little peck turns into a very hot and heavy uh, scene of intercourse between this woman and this giant demon man with a humongous penis. And it's very spicy and in true Yves Langlais form, um, she, he goes down on her before anything else happens Mm -hmm. and they bang it out a bunch of times overnight and it's lovely and they're like okay and he even says he's like you know i'm so sorry like i came so quickly but i'll get you next time like don't worry and she's like oh next time okay so immediately like he he's still like gruff but he starts to really like love this woman so um the next day they wake up and they wake up because miguel is pissing on him and she's oh. like, oh, I guess he just, like, missed the bathroom. It's okay, honey. And he's like, no. Because he, he works with pups, right? He works with dogs. So he's like, he's marking his territory. He doesn't like that we're in bed together. So he's like, I'm going to go for a walk. You clean this up. And, uh, like, to the little boy. And he's like, and I'll be back. So little boy cleans up the mess. And then as he comes back, um, he sees all, like, he, he knew that the gang members were going to be there. But as he gets there, like, they're all dead and it's because the little boy's hellhound went and attacked and killed them all and he's like oh okay well i guess this dog is really bonding with this family but mary's upset because she's like now the state's gonna come and take away this dog and put it down and children's services are gonna get involved or they're gonna think that i called this dog to attack them and i'll go to jail so she's kind of like, but you know what? We'll, we'll figure it out, you know, but there's not a lot of time to run. So he's like, okay, well, he's like, I need you to trust me. And she's like, okay. So he takes them to hell. Mm. He takes them to hell. And who's there to meet them? None other than Lucifer. And she faints. And uh, they're like, oh, weird. Okay. So um, they... He takes care of her and teaches the little boy about like his pups. And he's like, this is how you take care of them. They'll always protect you, you know? And he's, he's, he's really taken with Miguel and he likes him a lot. And he, you know, he thinks that Miguel's like a natural with, <clears throat> with these dogs. And then we find out that actually, um, Miguel's father was actually a demon. So Miguel's a half demon. And that's why like, he can't handle Christian things, but also why he's so good in hell with everybody. Um, and then they just start to be like this little family and it's really sweet. And they go and they like, they start calling it Xmas instead of Christmas. But I guess in hell, they all celebrate Xmas anyway, because they love the Xmas spirit. And um, yeah, they all start to become this like little family. And then one day um, 
Mary is at like the hell corner store and she runs into her ex, Brian. <gasps> and Brian's like, let me see my kid. And she's like, no, fuck you. You know, you were terrible in life. You're terrible to my kid. Like, no, you don't get access to him just because we're both in hell. Like, if you want to deal with that, like, you can deal with my man, you know, Satan's kennel keeper. Like, you can fucking deal with that. But what happens instead is he ends up letting all the dogs out and drugging them and, and kidnapping Miguel. And the reason is because the Santa Claus drug dealer is also in hell. And he's like, he's like, your debt isn't paid yet. You have to bring me your kid. And so um, Marduk is pissed because he's like, that's my boy. And so he <laughs> and fucking Mary, they they get all their hellhounds and they chase after this guy. And then he like tears them apart with his hellhounds. And um, so when she finds her son, Miguel, like curled up in a ball, she's like, I'm a baby. And then Marduk's like, damn it, woman, give him some space. She's like, no, my baby, that was so traumatic. And he's actually not scared at all. He was worried about his puppy because his puppy got drugged. And so Marduk's like, I put your puppy in my pocket. Here you go. And then Miguel speaks and he's happy and he's smiling and Mary cries. And then they uh, later, they, they fuck it out. And um, he, Marduk's like, you're now the mistress of the kennel. And she's like, it's as good as a proposal. Um, and then they bang it out some more. But just as they're finished banging, they hear a scream. <gasps> and it's Miguel. And so they run over to Miguel. Who's in Miguel's room? But Santa Claus. Oh, damn. And Santa's like, hey, I heard about this letter situation. I'm here to make it right. And she's like, no, no, no. It's, it's, get away from my kid. Like, we good. I'm happy with, with the outcome of my letter. He's like, how could you possibly be? You're in hell. Like, how could you possibly be happy? She's like, it's fine. We're happy. Like, you can fuck off now. And he's like, well, um, your son was having temper tantrums and shit all year anyway. So, um, you know what? He's on my naughty list. So he gets cold anyway. And she's like, oh, no, you didn't. And like, she's ready to just fucking tear him apart. Uh, but instead, Miguel is like, bad Santa. And then he has his little hellhound attack Santa Claus. And it's awesome. And he's like, you're on the naughty list forever. They're like, good, fuck you, Santa. And then um, she's just like, wow, this was the best Xmas ever. And they're all happy in their family. And it's just a happy story. And they, they fucking, and Miguel's talking and smiling. And Brian is, is in hell jail. And, uh, Santa Santa got booted. So it was <laughs> at, you know what? Every single Yves Langlais book is always spicy. Mm-hmm. And it's always a fun little read. I'm so glad I read this instead of finishing The Human Santipede. Mm-hmm. Um I'm gonna give it uh five out of five for spice because it was real spicy. It oh. was real spicy. Yep. Amazing. I'm gonna give it um some five out of five peppermint lube lubes. Um oh. Yeah, yeah. And um, the sex toy would be a glass candy cane dildo that I found online. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, last year I was like, I hope I find a book where somebody has sex with a candy cane. Um, and I did, but it was in the human centipede. So oh. we don't need to go there. 
But uh, loved it. Loved this book. Really glad I read it. Um, everybody should read more Eve Langlais because she's great. She's great. Amazing. So, yeah. what's she going to read for us? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the part where they see Santa Claus. <gasps> yeah. Okay. So they're just they're just this is the end of them of them banging. <clears throat> okay. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Just imagine that playing in the background as you're reading. <laughs> when I was a young boy, <laughs> my father took yeah. me into the city. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's that's probably what they would play down in hell. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, and then, while she was still coasting from her oral orgasm, he thrust into her. His thick shaft was oh so welcome, filling. She cried out and rocked her hips, pushing against him, wanting him deep. He growled and rumbled as he thrust, his pace steady and perfect, hitting her in that sweet spot over and over until she shattered. But she rem- remembered to exclaim before they collapsed in the heap, I love you. Those three words saw her getting two more presents that night. The last one ended in a shower, where the tile wall held her upright because her legs weren't sure they wanted to work. She smiled at him as they put on some clothes. The clock struck twelve, and tugging her pants up, she grinned and said, Merry Christmas. His eyes crinkled at the corners, and his cheek dimpled as he said, You are the best present ever. She might have giggled and preened at his praises, if not for the sudden shriek. Miguel! They emerged from the bathing chamber to find a fat man in a red suit, his beard tangled, his nose bulbous, and his cheeks florid, standing by the bed. Miguel sat in it, looking terrified, arms around the dog that still didn't have a name. Puppy's hackles were up, and it growled in a low tone. It wasn't alone. Frickin' Frack flanked the fat man. Who are you? she exclaimed. Get away from my son. Call off the dogs, the guy demanded. They're just doing their job, Marduk drawled. And so am I, or don't you recognize me? I am Santa. You? She eyed him dubiously. He was more unkempt than she'd expected, more drunken, vagrant-looking than jolly. In the flesh, Mary. So glad I finally found you. I'm here to fix the snafu with your letter. The letter? She shook her head. No thanks. I'm good. Santa looked around. I think your definition of good needs help. Or have you missed the fact that you're in hell? Well aware, she tucked closer to Marduk, and totally fine with it. Really, you can go. Santa didn't like that. His lips flattened. Suit yourself. He turned to Miguel. What about you, son? You going to turn down something from Santa? Mind you, it's not that bike you asked for. You weren't exactly good this year. The fat man pulled something from his sack and dropped it on the bed. Excuse me, Mary Haft? He's been great considering everything he's been through. Breaking things, temper tantrums, being disrespectful. Santa ticked off the supposed infractions. Rules is rules. Bad kids get coal. Sure enough, a lump sat on the bed. Mary stared at it and then Santa, who had the nerve to deliver the insult to her kid in person. Disparaging my baby, her gaze narrowed. Marduk snorted, Oh, Nick, you did not just do that. Before Mary could go Mama Bear on Santa's ass, Miguel shifted, leaning forward to grab the coal. He studied it, then the man in the red suit. Miguel tossed it to the side and then smiled, a big, beautiful thing, before clearly saying, Bad Santa, go. The command wasn't for the fat man, but a dog who obeyed. The hound came off the bed without a sound and mouth open wide. Don't you dare call it off. That's it. You're on the naughty list forever. Santa went hustling for the air duct. Uh, He must have popped out of, lost the ass of his pants during his escape. (laughs) 
But who cared about the fact they'd never leave cookies for the fat bastard again? Shock had her jaw hanging open as Miguel spoke again. Good girl. Girl. Duke leaned in close and whispered, Did I mention the fact that dogs will adopt the gender of whatever their master will respond to best? No, you forgot that part, she muttered as she approached her son, trying not to be too giddy at the fact he'd spoken. Miguel hugged his dog and rubbed his face in her fur before saying, Spot, the most perfect name for the solid-colored hellhound. Mary X, Miss Miguel, because it might be early, but the big day had come. As expected, he loved the bike and the set of mini dinosaurs the devil sent over. Mary got a pendant and a gruff, It says you're the kennel mistress. Which was kind of like a proposal and almost the best gift she got that day. The very best thing happened when Miguel flung his arms around her and said, Love you, Mama. Duke hugged Mary close as she sobbed happily. Thank you, Satan, for this Xmas miracle. Uh, I cried a lot reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he spoke! Merry Christmas, everyone! Like, <laughs> oh, God. Thank you. Yves Langlais, she comes through. Every time. Every, every time. time. Well, yeah. so does Courtney Malen. So I'm going to read you something very sweet. Oh, okay. I'm ready. Sweet little something something. Okay. So this point in the book, he has lost the wager and he is respecting her wishes. And those are that she, he never speak to her again. So he's never, he hasn't come to see her. He hasn't done anything. Um, and she runs into them, runs into him. Um, out in public, tries to avoid him, but yeah, she sees him. Um, and she's really cold. Yeah, it's it's winter. It's like right before Christmas, so she's like standing, waiting for someone, and she's cold. So he comes up to her and he starts um, like rubbing her arms to try to warm her up. <clears throat> and she again, this is in Leicester, in Leicester, UK. <laughs> so she says. <laughs> I wish I knew why you were doing this, being so kind to me. Without saying a word, he opened his black bag and took out a book. It was labeled carefully on the front. Visits, 3 September, 1863, 2. The end date was blank. He opened it to the middle and then dipped his hand in his bag and came up with a small pair of scissors. This he used to slice a page carefully from the center. He withdrew a pencil and wrote something on the paper, and then, just as carefully, he folded it into a perfect square with crisp edges. Then he stood... He took her hand and in perfect silence slid the paper into it. He closed her fist around it. The corners dug into her palm as he kissed the tips of her fingers. He didn't say anything, not even at that point. He simply turned, picked up his bag, and walked away, leaving Lydia to stare after him, dumbfounded. It was only after he disappeared that she unfolded the page he'd taken from his book. I only said I would stop talking to you, he'd written. I never promised to stop loving you. Oh my god. She stared at those words, strong and steady, unmoving. It was a strange feeling, accepting that, that she hadn't destroyed everything, that despite everything she'd done, he cared for her still. It scared her, the truth. The truth was, she liked him. The truth was, ever since the beginning, she'd looked at him and felt that shower of sparks in her belly. He made her feel so carnally aware, and so she'd pushed him away as hard as she could. She <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> she sat up. <laughs> oh my goodness. <coughs> Woo! Okay. Oh no. I'm okay. Oh no, my voice. It's broken. 
She sat on the bench for a half hour, this time recalling everything she knew of him. The straightforward way he'd describe prophylactics, not flinching at using words like penis or cervix. As if carnal exercise and sexual lawning were just things. Regular things, functions of the body, and no cause for embarrassment. As if desire, like the truth, could be a gift and not just a source of shame and terror. Lydia had told him once that she could let herself see both the good and the bad in any situation. Here was the bad. Maybe she was irretrievably damaged, unable to love normally, unable to accept the regard of a good man because of what had happened in her past. Or maybe, maybe she was on the brink of love, if only she could let herself accept it. She remembered the conversation she'd overheard between Jonas and her father. Your daughter is stronger than you think, he had said. She'd been wrong about him. Apparently, he could, ho he could hope for the best in me too. Maybe he was right. Maybe she was stronger than she thought. And oh. then she finds a condom, shows up, and like, let's get busy. And they fucking do. Oh, I love that. It's so good. Yeah, Courtney Milan for life, truly. If you are into shifters, paranormal in any way, read some Yves Langlais. If you like historical romance, read some fucking Courtney Milan. Always you know so what? good. I Okay, this is... I mean, your book is very obviously fiction because one, like, what kind of good man exists like that? But also, um, can you imagine, like, you know how guys today are like, I don't like wearing condoms and I don't, oh. they don't feel good. Imagine how bad it felt back then. He's still wearing it. 100%. And that's actually at one point something that's said is that, like, she asks him about it. Um, and again, at that point, talking in abstracts, like, and pretending that she's not listening, but she asks him a question. And he says something about like, yeah, it definitely feels different and it like limits sensitivity, but um, I like make up for it by how comfortable I feel knowing that we're not going to be Ugh. making a baby or like giving each other a lethal illness. Yeah. Okay, like his answer is like so fucking delightful. And you're right. It was probably like rock hard. Like there was no, like, I don't even know what it was made out of, but like wasn't comfortable i'm sure and yet he was just like yeah baby let's do it and i'm like who is this man <laughs> i know there was a time where like condoms were made out of like um like sheep intestine yeah sheepskin which you can still get the problem with yes you can still get them they're often recommended for people who have an allergy to latex the problem is is that they actually are more porous than latex so they're not as like 99 percent effective or whatever it is but yeah um are they woolly like an ugg <laughs> just like fucking an ugg boot <laughs> yeah i mean i have never used an internal condom aka like a female condom um but everyone i know who has says it's very much like fucking a ziploc bag <laughs> <laughs> that's why we need like the the ugg ones 100 percent yeah that's it'll just and like keeps you warm and cozy yeah right like think about it listen uh, i'm this is a ravage love idea 100 percent. we're sitting on a million shearling dollar condoms. <laughs> shearling female condoms yeah some angora if you will <laughs> <laughs> yikes oh, yeah. patent pending patent yeah. pending <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. We're gonna need uh, we're gonna need testers for that. Oh yeah! So um, if you are interested, call us. If you want to fuck some UGG boots for us, <laughs> so in the name can... of science, 
<laughs> Our prototype is just a Ugg boot. <laughs> just fuck a boot and then get back. <laughs> Fill your boots, bud! <laughs> it's like, we're gonna go knock some boots. It's just like beta testing some fucking shearling condoms. Yeah. Whose bed have your boots been under? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Whose heart did you steal, I wonder? Oh, boy. Uh, well, that's a delightful note to end on. <laughs> yeah. Happy holidays! <laughs> Ooh, okay, well, um, I mean, I don't know when this episode's coming out, if it'll be Monday or Tuesday, but we have something happening, right? Yes! What, what's happening? Monday, December 13th, go to holla um, <laughs> at our Instagram, which is Rabbit Love, and you will see a post there with a picture of a prize pack that you can win if you follow us and you tag a friend who also follows us and you tell us what is your least favorite or favorite Christmas song. And we will do a random choosing and the winner will win a prize pack of the holiday swap, the incredible rom-com I read last week, a ravage love sticker pack and a magnet with a unique romance book cover on it that I'm going to hand stamp for you. Woo. Yeah. It's a pretty fucking stellar prize pack. So you're going to want to follow us on the Instas. You're going to want to tag a friend. And you're going to want to tell us a story about your favorite or least favorite Christmas song. Monday, December 13th. It's up for 24 hours. And then we're picking a winner. Also, Be that like, person. Un unlimited entries. Like if, if the people oh, you yeah. tag follow us, like you can yeah. tag 50 people. Absolutely. Yeah. Go for it. More the merrier. We're just picking one at random. And the prize could be yours. The prize could be yours. And I will be coming directly from me. It will be my copy and a magnet made by me and a sticker. So don't miss There's out. There's why I miss so much lotion in those pages because uh, Julie has horrible eczema. <laughs> so it probably smell really nice. <laughs> I think it's... Might even be some kitty cat fur in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. You'll have some cat fur and you'll definitely have some grease from, yeah, my eczema-laden hands that have been consistently greased up for the entire winter so far. So look for that unique prize pack Monday, December 13th. One of 13th. a kind. Yeah. One of a kind. Well, okay. I'm, yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna give away some fucking prizes. Hells yeah, we are. Because all of our fans are prizes in their own way. Oh, my God. Right? They're the true gifts this holiday season. Absolutely. Get yourself some Ravage Love fans if you can. Big fan of their work. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. We did it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. I wish I was taking you to the Black Parade, Julie, but... Since I can't, would you sing us out? Absolutely will. <clears throat> Thank you. Ravish love. Ravish love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS the number 2 J Show.
Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.